Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Joko Yo. I guess I can call this a coronavirus special edition of sorts. Because it's sort of like, uh, well, this is what we're pretty much talking about is, is well, the, the current event of, of a virus and a quarantine. But with a good ending. So, here we go. So during our coronavirus quarantine, uh, which started a few days ago, I came across a couple of things that caught my attention. Now, obviously, I was reading about the county recommendations about washing your hands and the warnings to make sure that we avoid crowds and stay in and stuff like that. And I was reading about how businesses were voluntarily shutting down to slow the spread of the virus. And sure, they would love money, the businesses, one person, one business person said. But if people kept getting sick, then they would be, <laughs> they would lose money permanently instead of temporarily. So, you know, if you look at just the money aspect, schools, of course, were shut down and students were out of school. And the virus was incorrectly being labeled, I was reading, as being from another country, giving some people the idea that people from that country were to blame for this virus. Some people even decided that they should uh, end the quarantine a bit early, which caused it to flare back up. And I read all these things just a few days ago. And another another set of news stories um, that I was reading was about a former Democratic candidate for president going on a bit of a speaking tour drawing immense crowds everywhere he went. His platform contained some radical ideas for some people. He had been blaming big businesses for the wealth disparities between the rich and poor. He campaigned against Wall Street and the banks, and he wanted campaign finance reform. He wanted union protections. He wanted broadened access to education and even possibly free college. He wanted a national health care system. He campaigned to improve our nation's infrastructure. He wanted to have worker protections, agricultural subsidies. He demanded a living wage for all workers and an end to gender discrimination in all forms. And, and the Democratic Party establishment didn't really like him trying to move their party too far to the left. Some accused him of being socialist, even communist. In fact, even 20 years earlier, 20 years or so ago, he was very much against a controversial war. Now, just so you don't think that I'm talking about recent events. It sounded like it, didn't it? Even though these are also both current news, this is where the stories begin to diverge. You see, this man that I'm talking about was actually the Democratic Party nominee three times, and although he lost the national vote each time, Johnston County voted for him over the Republican nominee by a two to one margin twice. In fact, he caught nearly all the farmers' votes. So that right there should tell you that lest you think that I'm talking about 2020, yep, not so much. It should be pretty obvious by now that we're not talking about Bernie Sanders. We're talking about a man named William Jennings Bryan. And Johnston County loved him. That right there should be the clue that we're not talking about 2020. Now, to be fair, from 1868 to 1968, a whole century, Johnston County voted Democrat, even when the Democratic Party lost. 
In fact, only three presidential elections in that entire period, that century, saw Johnston County voting for a Republican for president. Now, we can also argue that it wouldn't be the same Democratic Party as it was. It's not the same one. But I can also argue that it's not the same Republican Party either. Either way, Bryan, William James Bryan, would be mostly at home with Bernie Sanders, mostly because of Bryan's occasional, well, I say mostly, because mostly at home. Sometimes Brian would has some can't speak occasional racist beliefs, and sometimes he had a strong belief in creationism, and he believed that evolution was wrong to its core, and he also was a big time believer in prohibition. I don't think Bernie Sanders has really been about any of those things, but still, still, with the exception of those, lots of similarities. Now, see, Brian was popular enough to win the Democratic nomination three times, but he was not popular enough to be elected to the office. The last Democratic president at that time had been elected in 1893. William James Bryan ran for president in 1896. He ran in 1900, but he was beaten by William McKinley in both of those. He failed to win the office, but was popular enough to move the party to the left just enough to not only change it permanently, but he also was able to move two Republican presidents to the left so they wouldn't lose those votes to him. So when a president did win, so when a, um, when a Democrat did win the presidency in 1912, his service to the party was remembered, and the winner, Woodrow Wilson, named Mr. Bryan Secretary of State. O'Brien had always been opposed to foreign wars. In fact, when the United States declared war on Spain and on April 25, 1898, Bryan spoke forcefully against it, joined the Anti-Imperialist League. He was all in favor of helping other countries, don't get me wrong, um, uh, declare independence and find their own independence, but he rightfully was concerned that the United States was trying to get its own empire by simply taking Spain's. And when I say rightfully concerned, well, that's exactly how we got Puerto Rico and how we got Guam and Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. Brian was asked by his governor to help liberate colonies. He was being threatened with jail time for sedition if he didn't. So Mr. Brian agreed uh, if we were going to liberate colonies, then okay, he could help out. So he showed up at Camp Brian Grimes in 1898 where all of johnston county's soldiers were sent for this war we didn't have many go but the ones that did were at the same camp that he was now brian found that this was indeed no war of liberation the spanish american war and he remained anti-war for the rest of his life so when he was appointed secretary of state by president woodrow wilson later and wilson made moves to get us involved in world war one william james bryan resigned his post Brian said that he would support our troops, certainly, and he would help sell literacy and liberty bonds and never speak against the president or the war while it was going on. He would support our men in uniform, and that meant falling in line. So he did just that. He traveled the country on speaking tours to raise money for the soldiers, and it was in this position that he found himself in Smithfield's Banner Tobacco Warehouse 20 years to the day that we declared war on Spain. He spoke against a war 
time president in eight, on April 25th, 1898, but he spoke in favor of one on April 25th, 1918 in Johnston County. So why was he in Smithfield? He was a pretty big time guy. Well, somebody reminded him of his, of his historical support in Johnston County. He also had one of Johnston's senators, in fact, the chair of the Ways and Means Committee in Congress, was from Smithfield, He was, which just happened to be in charge of America's appropriation of money. The Secretary of the Navy was from Raleigh, and he was also a founder of the News and Observer, Josephus Daniels. In either case, somebody had to organize such a big event. I mean, it's not very often that we have those kinds of crowds. So we need to have some pretty good organizational skills. H.B. Marrow of Smithfield had run the Turlington Institute in Smithfield so efficiently that he had kept it alive way past his expected expiration date. He ran it so well that he was, when he was asked to be superintendent of Johnston County Schools and and he, he he took the job, and he was the one that made one system out of effectively 20 systems so that the schools could all share resources from the rich to the poor across the county. And he served that office from 1922 to 1950, 1951, almost 30 years. Now, just before that, though, as superintendent of the Turlington Institute, he was asked to coordinate this visit of William James Bryan, and he sat on stage with him. Mr. Marrow stepped up, and the visit helped keep Johnston County Democratic. It wasn't the only reason, but it helped keep it Johnston County Democratic for another 50 years or so. I'd say that's pretty successful. But later, that same year of 1918, October to be exact, another challenge came to the county, and it was this challenge that inspired this particular episode. See, just like you, I'm making this episode in a state of essential quarantine because of COVID-19. It is without a doubt one of the weirdest times of my life, but that's only because I wasn't alive in 1918. The similarities between the two are pretty striking. Since kids were not in school then, the Smithfield Herald in 1918 suggested that they help farmers pick cotton. Farmers needed the help, and the kids needed fresh air during the Spanish flu, so I guess that's a difference. But in 1918, with the Spanish flu, hundreds were sick from this version of the flu in Johnston County. 48 cases in Kenley, 150 cases in Selma, with four dead, three dead in Princeton, lots of cases in Meadow, O'Neill's, and Wilder's townships. We went into straight panic mode because of the Spanish flu and the and the county commissioners felt the need for a strong, organized response. And the man they trusted to organize Johnson's response to the Spanish flu influenza outbreak was none other than the same Henry Burwell Marrow, who was asked to be the county health director during this pandemic. He was essentially given a blank check to do whatever he needed to do to get this under control. So... Henry Burwell Marrow became a Spanish flu sort of uh, sort of czar, and he declared everything at the county shut down. He hired people to be regional directors throughout the, the county, going from house to house, 
countywide checking for flu cases, and when they found somebody, they would forcibly quarantine the family into their home and made sure they received the food and medicine they needed to get through. People in crowds would be arrested. Hand-washing stations were installed everywhere. And maybe those things, those those moves put in place by H.B. Merrow, were the reasons why Johnston's, Johnston's death numbers were lower than many counties around the area. Sampson and Harnett were hit much harder than we were, as, as was Nash and Wayne. Raleigh tried to quarantine too, but they ended it a little bit too early, and it came back strong. 23 new cases in a week, but not Mr. Marrow's Johnston County. This Spanish influenza saw one-third of the entire world's population infected. 50 million people dead worldwide. 675,000 dead in the United States. 13,644 dead in North Carolina. Johnston's numbers were nowhere close to that. Johnston's percent was way lower than most of the state's average and, and the country's. And when it was over, a real, organized health department was established in Johnston County, as was a central hospital for Johnston County, as was a centralized school system. Thank you, Mr. Marrow. The, the famous theologian Martin Luther had said once that he could not help that birds flew over his head, but he wasn't about to build a nest for them in his hair, meaning that you can't help that diseases come. They're going to come, but you don't have to help them settle in. H.B. Merrow knew that solid organization and planning could build protective walls out of a bunch of single bricks. And it will pass over. It will this time, it did then. And, but by making those bricks, those single bricks just laying around, work together, and depend on each other for support, as they've been saying lately, this too shall pass. And y- y'all, thank you for uh, for listening. And uh, more episodes coming. As as always, it's a pleasure. And until uh, next time, be good.